Okay, we are in the portion of the Christian calendar where we're anticipating Jesus' death and crucifixion. As I said, next week we'll celebrate Palm Sunday where Jesus finally entered into the city of Jerusalem. And then the week after that, celebrate his death and resurrection from the dead. But today we're with Jesus on his final journey to Jerusalem where he will be crucified one week after he arrives there. And uh, as he gets close to Jerusalem, the Pharisees had issued a warrant for his arrest. So Jesus was moving into danger at this part of his life. In fact, it says here in John 11, verse 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So his life is in danger right now, but nevertheless, he set himself, he set his face to go to Jerusalem for all of these final events to finally transpire where he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be crucified, buried, and then the resurrection would take place. So now we come to John chapter 12, and we see that on his way to Jerusalem, on this final journey, he stops somewhere, it says in John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mary served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So Jesus was invited to a party, if you will. A dinner, but really a celebration. He stops at, at, in the town of Bethany, which was just two miles outside the city of Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, so he stops here, and he visits this family that in, included Lazarus, whom he had just raised from the dead in the previous chapter, and also Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus was good friends with them. So Jesus arrives, and here a party had been planned to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus. And as I said, if you look in your Bible just one page earlier to John chapter 11, that's where it happened. So it was very recent after Jesus raised this man back to life from the dead and the family wants to put on a party, a celebration. Their brother who had been dead is now back to life. And in fact, at this particular party, Lazarus himself is sitting there at the party at the table. Lazarus is right there reclining at the dinner table as exhibit A of who Jesus is. Can you imagine coming to a party and here is this man who just several days ago had died and he was dead for about three days, but now here he is alive again. Wow, what a celebration that would be. And I'm sure that Mary and Martha were especially excited because they were gonna honor the man who caused it all, Jesus Christ. So Martha is in her usual place organizing the meal and making sure it's well served. 
Mary is about to express her heart to Jesus in a lavish way. And Lazarus is quietly watching the one who gave him life. That's the, the background and the setting for this story that takes place now. So we pick it up in verse 3. Well, let me pause right here and tell you really the meaning of this story. This is a story of a person, it's going to be Mary, who recognizes and believes who Jesus claims to be, the Son of God, the Messiah. And she responds out of love and affection for this man, because after all, this man has just brought her brother back to life from the dead. Any doubt that Mary had was wiped away when she saw her brother, Lazarus, walk out of the tomb. That's when Mary was convinced that this Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So she responded here with lavish praise for Jesus. Verse 3, it says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Now, nard, if you look it up, it's also called spike nard, is a flowering plant that grows in the Himalayas, of all places. So it came from a long distance away, a very rare spice, a perfume. And this plant, spikenard, produces an aromatic amber-colored oil. Very precious, very expensive. And a pint, this comes from the Greek word litra, L-I-T-R-A, which is about 11 ounces. So you think about a can of pop, that's about how much it was, volume-wise. But a very precious ointment or a very precious perfume. It says, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, perhaps we don't know how they came about this expensive perfume. Perhaps the whole family planned for this moment somehow. Perhaps they pooled their savings to buy this. Or perhaps it was a valuable family heirloom that had been passed on in the family for years. And now they decided the time had come to pour it out. So normally when a guest came, you would anoint the person's head with oil. But she didn't do that. Mary had the attitude of being a servant. And, you know, when you were the host or the hostess of a party and the special guests came in, of course it was customary to wash the person's feet because their feet would get dirty, wearing sandals through the dust and the dirt. Normally, a servant would do that job, not the hostess. But Mary, in her humble attitude, considered herself a servant to this particular individual, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. So she didn't pour the perfume on his head and anoint his head. She poured it on his feet, of all things. She not only took on the role of a servant, but used one of the most beautiful things she had, her hair, to dry his feet. Normally it would have just been a towel, but she didn't use a towel. She was showing her affection for this man, who he was and what he had done in bringing her brother back to life from the dead. So she took one of the most precious things she had, one of the most beautiful things she had, her hair, 
and use that to dry his feet. And I think that the lesson here is, when we think about Jesus Christ, the lowliest part of Jesus, his dirty feet, and he had dirty feet because he was a man, not only fully God, but fully man, and he walked through the dust and the dirt just like we do. The lowliest part of Jesus is more precious than the highest gift of man that we have to give him. And you know, Mary had the right outlook on this. She had things in perspective. And she realized, you know, once she saw her brother come out of the tomb alive again, she realized that this man, you know, deserves praise, deserves respect and honor. And she didn't hold back. She gave whatever she could to show her honor and her love and affection for this man. Pouring very expensive perfume on his feet and then drying his feet with her hair. And notice the house was filled with the fragrance. So this was pretty, probably a pretty large gathering of people. And when she poured that perfume out, everybody was able to appreciate it. It filled the room. It was a real strong scent and a beautiful scent. So as she worshiped Jesus Christ, and that's what she was doing in this case, she was worshiping him, providing the best that she had for him. Notice how her worship of Jesus was not private, but it was enjoyed by all. It always spills over onto others. Everyone is blessed. And that's one of the great things about coming here to worship as a church family. Whatever happens here, you know, it's not a private thing. It's a public thing. And we all enjoy, for example, Pastor Bill's message about the offering. You know, we all enjoyed hearing that. We all benefited from it. Whenever somebody comes up here, and you know, we always announce that if something happens in your life that you'd like to share about God, you know, let me know and we'll invite you up here. You know, several of you have been up here and have shared things that you've experienced in your life. You've seen God at work in your life. When you come up here and tell us about it, we all benefit from that. You're worshiping God by telling us your story, but we're all worshiping God when we hear your story and reflect on how good God is and how loving God is. So see, worship isn't just a private thing. It's meant to be a public thing. Now certainly you can worship God at home alone, that's fine. But I think it means even more when we come together as a family and share our stories. We sing together, we pray together. We're worshiping God together. And I think that's a lesson that was learned from this, this party in this gathering. Here was this woman doing her thing to worship this man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but everyone in the room was blessed by what she did. So we see here Martha's role was to thank Jesus and to worship him with a fine meal. Don't forget that story where Jesus went and, and was speaking and uh, Martha was busy in the kitchen getting food ready. Not this case, but there was another story about the same family. And Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. And Martha finally came up to, to Jesus and said, why don't you tell my sister to get out in the kitchen and help me with the, with the meal? See, that was Martha's gift. And, and when it came to worshiping Jesus and thanking him for raising their brother back to life from the dead, Martha's way of worshiping him 
was doing her best by providing the best meal that she possibly could, making sure that it was served properly to Jesus so that he could enjoy that meal. That was Martha's gift, and that was her way of worshiping Jesus. But Mary chose another way. Mary's role was to thank Jesus by pouring this expensive perfume on his feet. So in both these ways, they expressed their thanks, their love, and appreciation for Jesus. Now let's read on in the story. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, so all the disciples were here at this party too. But one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected to what he saw happen here. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So yeah, that was expensive. Can you imagine buying perfume that cost a year's wages for you? What do you make in a year? 20,000, 25,000, 30,000. Wow, that's expensive perfume. And everybody's just rejoicing at what, what happened except for Judas Iscariot. Judas speaks up with total disregard for Mary's act of worship. And as we know, Judas was very money-oriented. He would soon betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which amounted to, in our day, about $1,000. So he says it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag for the disciples, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he was stealing money on the side from the bag that they kept for funds. As Jesus traveled with his apostles, the food that they would need to, to eat and, and maybe lodging, they had this money from donations from people. And here Judas was put in charge of carrying the money and he was stealing from it. So Mary did what she did. She valued Jesus. She saw the value of this man. Her heart was full of thankfulness, joy, and affection toward him. While Judas valued money more than he valued Jesus. So here's the lesson for the sermon today. Do we value Jesus? And if we do, do we show him the affection, the thankfulness, the appreciation, the respect and honor that he deserves for who he is? Mary here set an example for us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Hold your place there, and we'll turn back to Matthew 13. There are some parables here about seeing the value in something. And we're here talking about seeing the value in Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. Matthew 13 and verse 44 this is Jesus speaking here. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. And of course, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven, serving below the Father and along with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So the story here means when you discover the kingdom of heaven, in other words, when you hear the gospel 
and realize what this gospel means and the fact that you are a sinner and because of your sin, there's a penalty that you're going to have to pay. The wages of sin is death and you're guilty. But then you hear this gospel about this son of God who came to this earth, you know, many years ago, born as a little baby in the town of Bethlehem, and how he grew up and what his ministry was like and how he finally was put to death. But he did that willingly because he knew he was paying the penalty that we all owe for our sins. He was taking our penalty on himself and paying it in our place so that we don't have to. So when you hear that story and realize what this Jesus Christ has done for us, we respond by treating him as a very precious thing. And we want to show him honor and respect and thankfulness and, and not hold back and do anything we possibly can to show him the respect he deserves. He goes on to say in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So Jesus is saying, that's what our attitude should be toward him. Because he deserves it. He came down to this earth to be our savior, our redeemer, our Lord and master. And he paid the price that we all owed. What is our response to that? Now, unfortunately, to many people in the world, they never give it a second thought. They don't believe it. Uh, they don't consider themselves to be a sinner. They don't need a savior. And because of that, they show little or no respect at all toward Jesus Christ. But we are to be different. We are the ones who have understanding. We are the ones who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit that we are sinners and that we need a savior. And if nothing had ever happened uh, to help us in that respect, we deserve death and we would get death. So Mary here sends, sets an important example for us. She not only recognizes Jesus as a savior, but she holds nothing back in her praise of him, in her affection toward him, in her love that she demonstrates. We should be the same way. And you ask yourself sometimes, it takes effort. You know, uh, coming to church on a regular basis, it takes effort. Is Jesus Christ worthy of that effort? When we come here and sing songs to him and we read about him and, and pray about him. I mean, that's the least we can do. You know, we're not asking you to spend a year's wages to buy perfume to bring it in here. Although Mary did. She did it willingly. Nobody forced her to do that. She so loved the Lord that uh, that was nothing to her. And to humble herself by not only washing his dirty feet or anointing them with perfume, but then wiping them with her hair. Now, we said earlier that Mary and Martha, I'm sure were convinced of who Jesus was when they saw their dead brother walk out of his tomb. Can you imagine the effect that that would have had on them? That miracle. Now, we will most likely never see a loved one raised from the dead in this age like Mary and Martha did. But you know what? We have Jesus' firm promise for our future resurrection. See, we've been given faith to believe that and to be assured of that. So 
Mary and Martha had a, a very particular incident happen in their life whereby they showed Jesus respect and honor, and he deserved it. But we are the same. We look forward to a future resurrection, not only of our loved ones, but of ourselves. If we die before Jesus returns, we have his word and his promise that when he does return, we are going to stand there with him. We're going to come back from the dead, just like Lazarus did. But you know what? It's going to be different because Lazarus was brought back to a physical life. And he actually, after so many years, we don't know how many years, he died again. So he's a man who died twice <laughs> from a physical life. When we're raised from the dead, we will never die again. We're going to be raised immortal. We're going to be raised glorified. And we have Jesus' word on that. So you might say, well, you know, Jesus never raised my brother or my sister like he did for Mary and Martha. No, but he is going to raise you. And he's going to raise all your loved ones that were in Christ. Turn with me to John 11 and verse 25. This is what he said at the time he, he raised Lazarus back to life. The family members had their doubts just before it happened, but notice what Jesus said in John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I'm capable of resurrecting people. No, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And we believe that because we have Jesus' word on it. So instead of looking to Lazarus coming out of the, the tomb, which was spectacular and dramatic in itself, it was a fantastic miracle, we have God's word that our resurrection is coming in the future and the resurrection of all those that we love who died in Christ Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And see, we know that Jesus himself rose from the dead shortly after these events happened. And his resurrection is the basis on which we have faith that we will be resurrected as well. That's what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, uh, if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the ground for our faith in a future resurrection from the dead is in the certainty that Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And if we believe that, and we must believe that, then we have confidence and assurance that we too will be raised from the dead, just as Jesus has promised. So again, Mary and Martha were praising Jesus because of an event that happened in their lives when their brother Lazarus came back to life through Jesus' miracle. 
our confidence and faith is in the future. We don't have a brother Lazarus that was raised back to life in this, in this age. Our hope and our confidence is in the future. And why do we believe that we're going to be resurrected? Because Jesus himself was resurrected. So we know that he's got the power. He doesn't only have the power to resurrect people. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He's the source of all that. So we should show our affection to him on a regular basis. That's why we're here today, to praise him, to talk about him, to rehearse the story of, of who, who he was and what he did and all about his life and his ministry and how the Father sent him here to become our Redeemer. So every Sunday when we gather together, we're having a celebration party. <laughs> we really are. Celebrating our salvation and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Now let's turn back finally to John chapter 12 and read the rest of the story. John 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 7. So here Judas Iscariot, the man who was a thief himself, the man who was all about money, complaining about what Mary did and said, this was unnecessary. We should have taken that perfume and sold it and donated the money to the poor. Notice what Jesus tells him, verse 7, leave her alone. In other words, shut up, Judas. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should, should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus kind of puts him in his place here, and he gives three reasons. The first reason is Jesus says, listen, I'm only going to be present with you on earth a short time longer. And I don't know if anybody at this party understood that. He was going to die in a matter of a week from this story. And I don't think the people got it yet. And Jesus is saying here, you're not going to be able to see me, hear me, talk to me, or eat meals with me after a while. Because he was going to ascend up to heaven. Mary realizes how precious this time is with me. So leave her alone. Her heart is right. She's making the most of the time she has. She has experienced God's grace and power, and it has changed her life. And she reached for the most lavish thing she could find to express her gratitude toward me. A year's wages gone in a flash. Think what she could have bought with this, but her brother is alive. So that's the first reason. Jesus says, time with me is precious. Take advantage of every minute you have. And that's why, you know, in, in our day and age, I count every opportunity we have to get together as a church as precious. <laughs> because who knows how much longer we're going to be able to meet. You know, you don't know how much longer you're going to live, neither do I. Time is short. That's the way we have to look at it. You know, we're, we're looking at things changing in our country so rapidly that we, you know, so, so many restrictions, so many limitations. Is the time ever going to come that uh, churches meeting together might be outlawed or discouraged? Who knows? We need to take advantage of every opportunity we have. And that's what Jesus said. So the second reason he told Judas to back off is that you can imagine Jesus saying to Judas, Judas, if you really cared about the poor, as you should, you now have the rest of your life to serve them with all your heart and with all your might. And nothing Mary has done here can stop you. 
In fact, she should have been an example to you. But Judas, I know that you don't love the poor. And you don't love me. You love money. And in five days, you're going to sell me for 30 pieces of silver. The love of money in your mind blinds my worth to you. You can't see the value of me, Jesus says, and who I am and what I'm about to do, dying on the cross for the sins of the human race. You're blind to that because you're so focused on money and the love of money. If you can't see that I am to be desired above all riches, you will die. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And you know what? Sure enough, after, Jesus, after Judas betrayed Jesus, you know what happened to him? He committed suicide. He was so fixated on money, and in the end, he realized that money <laughs> was worthless to him. And he ended up throwing his silver, 30 pieces of silver, into the temple. And he hung himself. So the first reason he told Judas to leave Mary alone was that his time on earth was going to be very short now. And she wanted to take advantage of, of the time with him to honor him and respect him. Secondly, you know, Judas claimed to be concerned about the poor, but Jesus knew that he wasn't. And he talked about where his focus needed to be, to get his mind off money and to get his mind on Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus here talks about viewing what Mary did and anointing his feet as, in a sense, anointing his body after his death. Because there's the custom when somebody died, I don't know if everybody got this treatment, but some people did, when as a part of the burial service, they anointed the body with, with oil or spices or whatever the case may be. And Jesus said, this was kind of a in advance anointing of me for my death, done in advance. No one in the room aside from Jesus grasped the fact that he was about to die, but that's the way Jesus took it, and he allowed it to happen. So based on this story, we finish by uh, reading in verse 9 here, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, the man raised from the dead. Can you imagine what it would be like to go up to a person who had been buried for three days and they'd be able to talk to him, shake his hand or whatever you did. So they came to see him. So the chief priests made plans, notice, not only to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus. Because like I said, he was a walking testimony to who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah. Here's the man that Jesus raised from the dead back to life. So the Pharisees not only want to kill Jesus, they also want to kill Lazarus. So here's Lazarus. Man, I was dead. I'm resurrected back to life. And now there's people who want to kill me. So he was going through, a, you know, a, a kind of a strange emotional bout there. So they wanted to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Wow, what a crazy setting that was. But the main point that I'm trying to get across to you is that it's a beautiful thing when the affection of the believer matches the perfection of Jesus. When the affection of the believer matches the perfection of Jesus Christ. 
You know, based on who we are because of Jesus Christ, we need to have a sense of awe and gratitude in response to his salvation and resurrection power. We never, we never should take Jesus lightly. We should never take him for granted. And like I said, that's why I count every opportunity we have to meet together here to worship him as very special time. Very special time. Let's make sure that we never let up, even in the face of COVID-19. You know, I read an article the other day where they estimate that because of COVID-19, that 20% of churches, 20% of churches either have closed or will have closed by the time this is all said and done. 20% of churches closed, and I mean closed for good. I don't know about you, but you drive around town nowadays and you see for sale signs on the front lawns of churches because churches just have not been able to function any longer. And I know of churches that from, from day one of the COVID outbreak back in February of last year, they have not reopened. They have not reopened. So I don't think COVID-19 was the total cause of it, but it certainly didn't help. Small churches that were kind of struggling to get by have realized that they can't do it any longer. And I know of, of some pastors too, who once the church has closed and they haven't had services for so long, the pastors are just kind of questioning in their own minds, well, what am, I, am I supposed to be a pastor? What does God want for me? What, what is my purpose in life supposed to be? Where some church pastors are really questioning now what they should do with their lives. So we have to focus on Jesus. We have to take him seriously. We have to show him the awe, the respect, the honor that he not only demands, but he deserves. Mary set an example for us by not holding back at all and just letting loose and worshiping him with all that she, she had available to her and all that she could, no matter what the cost might be. So let's have that proper perspective of Jesus because I think this story is teaching us that lesson. And we are God's children. Jesus is our savior. And let's not let up and we'll worship him for all eternity because of who he is and what he's done for us. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story of Jesus being anointed in the town of Bethany, for this wonderful family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and how Jesus worked diligently in their lives. And we see the change that was brought about in each of their lives, and how they came to recognize Jesus as the Son of God because of the strong miracle, the powerful miracle of Lazarus being brought back from the dead. But help us to learn from that example that we too should hold Jesus Christ in awe, in respect, in admiration, that we should show our affection to him personally and just honor him for who he is, our beloved savior. So Father, as we approach now the uh, Holy Week season, help us to, to ponder such things in our mind and to kind of dwell on them and uh, just to be inspired and encouraged that we truly are your children, Father, and we owe it all to your son, Jesus Christ, who has been a wonderful blessing to each of us. We thank you for him, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.